In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. Well, 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 welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the True Life Podcast. We have a guest that everyone has been, George, when is, when is Rand coming on? When is Rand coming on, George? And most of you have posted about this book. I know I have just recently got my copy I have sitting next to me here. The book is called Triumph Over Trauma. It's a healing, spiritual, and personal growth series of stories. Ran is the author. You have done a tremendous job, and I'm so thankful that you wrote this. But before I turn it over to you, I am I want to talk about the cover, but I was amazed by the editing in this book. Can you do who did the editing in this? I have to give major props to my partner Jenny, who was the editor. She did a fantastic yeah, job. Thank you. Good. Nice. So the cover of this book, you and I talked a little bit before we got started, yeah. but for those who are just here. The cover is a real attention grabber, and it, it really pulls you in, and it's such a psychedelic image. Like, tell me how that came about. I, You know, I, I've been fortunate all along this process, and, and one of the people I connected with is this uh, book designer, and, you know, I told her what I was looking for, this kind of healing, healing picture in my own mind. You know, I saw it as sort of a that person with their hands up and just receiving that, that healing. And uh, we just brainstormed for a little while. And then she said, here are 15 images that I think fit what you're talking about. Which one do you like? And, or which ones do you like? <laughs> and we immediately saw this one and I just said, Oh my God, that, that is the cover with, you know, with some tweaks here and there. But so it's all just uh you know, again, universe, creator, whatever, driven in this whole process in my mind, meeting the right people and and then having, uh, including the storytellers who, you know, are pivotal to the book. Yeah, without a doubt. I, you know, I thought it was fascinating 
you tell a little bit in the beginning of the book about how you came to want to write this book or how you were almost instructed to write this book. Yeah. Would it be, would you be able to maybe not give up the whole book? Would that be okay to share that story with people? Yeah, of course, of course. And, you know, I purposely kept myself out of the book as much as possible, uh, except a, that little bit in the intro where the author has a, you know, has a voice, but to me, you know, the, the, the voices are the storytellers, but for this book, you know, I wasn't, um, you know, I'm a, an advocate, an educator for healing, for psychedelics, and I never imagined myself writing another book. I looked at the psychedelic space and saw, you know, we have a lot of nice books. You had, you know, Matt, you had Matt Zeman on the other day or a, lot, a couple weeks ago, and he has a great book out there. And um so I just thought, you know, no, we, there's there's no need for it, and and writing a book is a lot, a lot of work, and maybe the maybe the work is more afterwards when you're actually now done with the book, but now you have to kind of try to get it out to the people. Um, but anyway, so I was um, I was I've, I've discovered that LSD is is most certainly the psychedelic that that fits me the best, the medicine that works best for me. And uh, so I was on uh, the end of this LSD journey. I was on my deck, which in late summer, any afternoon, that's where you're going to find me because it's meditation, it's quiet, it's nature. And so I was just coming down from this beautiful journey. And all of a sudden I got this and you can't describe it. It's not words. It's not, you know, from the mount, Rand, you are going to write this book. You know, it wasn't anything like that at all. But it was all of a sudden this, you need to get people's stories out. And the way you're going to do this is a book. And I literally had to run inside, grab a pad of paper and a pen, come back out. And the outline that the final book it's probably about 90% of what I got from that download. And, and, you know, I had heard these stories from really experienced psychonauts about the digital download. And, you know, we've seen these documentaries. I, I can't remember which one it was, but it was this businessman, this uh, English gentleman. And he was like, you know, I went to the jungle to figure out what my business plan should be. And I got this digital download and, you know, the business plan, the marketing plan, the app. The website all came to me and I was like, that's BS. That doesn't happen. <laughs> you know, that's someone's grand idea. But I can bear witness to that. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't this, like I said, it wasn't some grand voice or lightning bolt, but it was this force. I best way I can say it, force saying, here's what you're going to do. Here's the stories you're going to get you need to do this to educate the people and, and kind of break through all this, you know, 50 years of propaganda. And so that's, that's where it came from. The only thing that wasn't in that digital download originally was the microdosing section. Hmm. And uh, as I was talking with people and sharing stories, uh, microdosing became a bigger and bigger thing. So I said, Oh, well, Sorry, LSD, but I need to add this to the chat, this to the book as well. <laughs> so I, I guess I should have put a side note in the, you know, uh, more credit to the LSD for the book. <laughs> it's fascinating to me because I, I think that on some level, 
that's the Ariadne thread that allows people to follow their way out of trauma, follow their way to a better life, follow their way out of whatever it is that seems to be burdening them. And for some people, it's a download. For other people, it is an insight into why they are in a traumatic episode. For other people, it's an idea about how they can change their life that may have incredible ramifications in a year from now. But it is this sort of, you know, download's a good word for it. Insight is a good word for it. Discovery is a good word for it. And it seems to me, in the author's note, you explain about this. And then each of the profound stories that are in there, they may not describe it as a download, but they do describe the healing journey they're on. And I think that the way you started the book is a great tone that continues to echo throughout the book, through everybody's story there. And, you know, I, I, I just, it's amazing to me how it came together and it flows like that. In some ways, I look at the book, for, for me, uh, psilocybin is my ally. You know, that's the one that I spend a lot of time with. And we seem to have a really great relationship. And it seems to be the one that, you know, maybe we have the same sort of voice or that calls to me. But it seems to me that that the book you've written is almost like a psilocybin trip for me. Like it comes in waves. Like the first wave is you speaking your story. And then it intensifies through the trauma and everybody else's story. And then it kind of backs off with the micro dose, you know. So it was really well done. I'm wondering, like, it's just, did that sort of insight come into it? As you've gotten the download, was there a set of ideas that you flowed through you as you wrote it? Or what was that process like? Yeah, well, first of all, wow, that's... You know, George, first of all, after with your beautiful comment you put in about the book, I was like, and I should have hired George as my <laughs> PR person for sure. Wow. And the way you just described this book, I, I think I'm going to steal that because that's beautiful. Please. Wow. It's um, true. If you look at it, I think you'll see it like that. I, yeah. I don't know how you can't. I, you know, the one thing that the, the one, the probably the biggest joy I've gotten from the book so far um more to come, I hope, when I actually hear from people that have maybe healed from the book. But mm-hmm. from the storytellers, you know, every time, every single storyteller at the end said, thank, you know, thank me. And I'm like, no, thank, thank you. And they're like, no, no, no. I just further integrated during the sharing of this story. Mm-hmm. I, it, it just helped me understand more. And I was like, wow, this, this book has all these different yeah. layers to it. I love yeah. the journey that you just mentioned. I love this integration part. Uh, but the writing, George, you know, it, it was, uh, smooth sailing. I, I, you know, I, I will say that, uh, toward the last bit of it, I was also doing a little more dosing with LSD and that I, you know, there were times where Jenny was looking at me and saying, I think I see smoke coming off your keyboard because it was literally like, I could not type fast enough. And again, to me, that's, that's not me doing it. That's right. the medicine within me that's saying, you get this out, we get this out and here's how to do it. So I take, you know, very little credit, except I, I see myself as sort of like, uh, I don't know, I, I could, I could certainly have a better analogy than this and I can't, but I love trees. So I'll say Johnny, Johnny Appleseed. That's how I feel like I am. Like, I just want to spread these little seeds of healing and psychedelics all across the world. And, you know, like Johnny Appleseed, I'll be, you know, long gone before that fruit becomes some beautiful tree. But that's what I want. You know, I, that, that is not my book. 
it's a book about healing from the storytellers and you can see these you know these beautiful examples as, as you talked about uh and i and i and just back to one thing you said too i love that these lessons or downloads or mm-hmm. insights come in a variety of different ways mm-hmm. i mean some people uh, uh allison's story where she sees this little girl and she can't figure out who this little girl is is it herself as a little girl is it one of her daughters that she doesn't recognize is it something else and so so that's a visual and others hear something uh other people like uh i think charles mentioned he felt jesus's hand on his shoulder so it's all these different ways that we experience that healing that that and the message that that the psychedelics want to have us see and understand and even if it's a bad situation a traumatic one the as you know the psychedelics put you more in observer mode yeah so you're not the one reliving it you're just sort of observing and saying oh okay now i understand more what happened or what was going on and now i can as an especially for childhood trauma because now i can understand it as an adult rather than my child brain that couldn't understand it and put so much shame and guilt on it now i can say oh no, it wasn't my fault at all. And as an adult, I can see this, I can release this trauma. And then with that, usually there's just some miraculous, beautiful moment. This again, this, uh, the one, I think, clear thing we see through most of these stories is this notion of pure love, Mm -hmm. Uh, wherever that comes from. Sometimes it's another person, sometimes it's an outwardly being, sometimes it's God, sometimes it's whatever. Uh, you know, a lizard or whatever, but uh, you know, it's really weird yeah. stuff sometimes, but they all feel that love. And, and to me, you know, and, and this it, it comes from a little bit of my trauma maybe, but you know, I was married for a long time and uh, thought I was in love with that, with my first wife. And um, you know, until I met Jenny and, and, and we actually formed a friendship before we were ever even thinking romantically, which maybe is the key. I don't know, but, I I feel like when I read these stories of that love and in, in some of these psychedelic stories, I that's the sense I have. And and I thought I knew love until I met Jenny. And then that love is like, wow, no, this love is, you know, a hundred times more powerful than the love I thought I had before. So, you know, I think that's a little my trauma relating to these stories a little bit, but I, I love that sense of especially when someone said, I have never felt love before in my life until that moment and your heart breaks because it's like wow this person's 30 40 whatever you know and they've never felt that before uh anyway so yeah uh you know we could we could talk go deeply into these stories for a long time but anyway back to you it's i feel all of it and it reminds me i'll I'll, let me talk let me tell people a little bit about the the great way in which the book is structured. I think you did a great job at that too. I like the way that when you move through the first part of the book, you get to the second part and then it kind of unfolds like a flower. There's all these fun facts and inspiring quotes and pitfalls to healing and facilitator tips. And the story you just told me about love reminds me of one of the quotes that you have in their book from McKenna. And he says, he's, McKenna says, quote, I think of going to the grave without ever having a psychedelic experience 
like going to the grave without ever having sex. It means that you never figured out what it's all about. The mystery is in the body and the way the body works itself into nature. And when you talk about feeling love for the first time, you know, it's almost as if you're allowing yourself to be a whole human being for the first time, because until you've really, and, and like you said, when it comes to trauma, there's been so many people who maybe their parents didn't know better. You can't pick your parents and maybe there it's a generational trauma that happened and you never really got to experience what it's like to have somebody love you on a level that is almost unconditional. And when you finally get that, it's just like your body gets to become one with the world again. And so I I really admire the structure of in the beginning, you talk about basics, you move into the stories, you move into microdosing and you wrap it up like that. And I, I, I think it's a, and you know what it reminds me of, Rand? It reminds me of a mosaic because there's so many different genders and so many different age groups and so many different ethnicities. Like, how did you go about finding all these different people to fit this mosaic that you built? George, man, I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to be stealing a lot of your words. <laughs> uh, well, first of all, I, you know, one of the things that in my research into psychedelics for the last several years is I was always craving the stories and I found a lot of the stories kind of lacking for my, whatever my needs were. So, you know, yes, I, I, it's fun to hear about this, the geometric patterns or the, the wall being entirely energy, you put your hand through it, you know, that that's all cool stuff. And that's, yeah. and that, and that's, part of that psychedelic experience, but I want to know, especially as someone who was going to try the medicine, you know, I want to know, you know, what's going to happen to me in that first half hour after I ingest it, you know, uh, mm-hmm. the first time I did, I did psilocybin, I didn't know that my body temperature was going to, you know, drop like what felt like 20 degrees <laughs> yeah, totally. and, um, you know, and then other weird stuff happening after that. So, so one of the things that story is I had a very specific format or structure that I wanted each storyteller to to follow and some were better at that than others but all worked out in the end um, because I wanted I wanted to the reader to have a have a true sense of almost being there with that storyteller and being you know in that ceremonial space or yeah. being at the John Hopkins Center or being in their Airbnb or wherever they were doing it and my goal was to get as, and it was crazy. And I, I probably ended up asking about 75 to 80 people to get 23 stories, but I wanted, you know, I wanted a mix of people that had done it legally through a clinic, a clinical trial or through a, a center where it's out, typically outside the country where it's legal. Uh, but I also wanted people that had done it personally, because especially something like psilocybin, which is readily available in so many ways that uh, many people are doing not in, 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 you know, not in a treatment center or something like that. But then I also wanted, as you mentioned, I wanted as, as diverse a population as possible. You know, I wanted all age, as many different age groups as possible. And, And amusingly, I think I thought I'd have, you know, mostly top heavy you know, fifties and above, since especially, especially even older, they, you know, they were part of the LSD crowd and all that, but 
most of my, I think I haven't done the actual look, but I think, you know, millennials and, and, uh, and Gen X might be the biggest group, which is totally fine. But anyway, so I was trying to get a broad mix of age, of gender, of, of ethnicity, of racial background. My one, uh, I also wanted to get at least one veteran in there because I have a, a, a heart for veterans. I also mm -hmm. really wanted a first responder and I was so close to getting one. Uh, because they both first responders and veterans are, you know, the, the, some of the highest suicide rates. And then my other goal, which I didn't achieve, was I really wanted an indigenous person to really talk about the sacred aspect of that and the spiritual aspect of it. But, um, you know, we have, I would need, you know, 30 years to build up trust because we have, you know, torn that trust in, in so many pieces, shreds of paper. Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, I reached out to several, I reached out to several, you know, sort of the Kevin Bacon, friends of friends of friends to try <laughs> to get to that. And uh, the, I, I thought I was close to that and I, I, I didn't get that. But those are just slight too, too missing from the book. But otherwise, yeah, I, I tried to get as broad a spectrum as possible because that's what the world is. Psychedelics has traditionally been more white male centered and so that was also sort of pushing always that voice in the back of my head especially being a white older white male doing it that i wanted to get as as diverse a crowd as possible and i i really feel that uh that was accomplished with this book because i wanted i wanted anyone to read it to at least find themselves in one of the stories ideally yeah. more but either because of the trauma or the medicine or the age or gender or whatever it might be, they, they, they could at least say, Oh boy, you know, she sounds like me or he sounds like me. And then they, you know, that story will resonate more with them because of that. Yeah. I think you did a, a fantastic job. And I think one of the psychedelic effects of that particular mosaic painting is that even though the individuals that told their stories were really different ages, the psychedelic that they took, the trauma that they've been through, it showed that all of them have trauma. And it's so weird to me that something so painful can be the very thing that brings us together. And it, it's not only the trauma that brings us together, but now we have this medicine that can help us get out of it. And if you just look at it, if you just pan back a little bit and you, you know, we're so focused on all these small differences that we have, whether you know, white or black or gay or straight or man or woman or Ukrainian or Russian, like we have all these words to explain how different we are. But in the grand scheme of things, we are so similar. We have we have the same problems. We care about a lot of the same things. And most of us have been affected by this thing called trauma that forces us to not see the big picture anymore. And I, I think you did a great job in your book at getting to the heart of trauma, which brings me to my next question is mm -hmm. there's a lot of talk about spirituality. What do you think is the relationship between trauma and spirituality? <laughs> Wow, that's a great question. Uh, of course, my first thought brain went right to all the trauma that's been, well, first we found it in the Catholic Church, but now we find it's in the Baptist Church and Episcopal Church and yep. all these others. And so my immediate one is, of course, well, anyone who's been traumatized by a spiritual person is going to be mm. not religious anymore, or, or right. they are in a, in a very you know, sad, sick way, I think. But um i think i think 
trauma can block spirituality. And again, I'm using spirituality in, in the broadest sense. Uh, I just saw this post today about, you know, religion is, is hurting psychedelics. Uh, and I thought that's just a weird, but they were talking about spirituality. They weren't, you know, religion me is, is the organization, you know, so right. the Catholic church is, or Catholicism is a religion, but spirituality is, is more about faith. And that faith is, and, and the one constant again i think in most psychedelic experiences is there is this sense of wow okay now i understand i'm part of a much larger universe and there is this smart intelligent being creator god buddha so many different names to it that, that people call that and i think what what the trauma does, it blocks, in my mind, trauma blocks our, our authentic self. Mm. And yes. so when that's released, it can, re it releases not only our, who we truly are, but it releases this, I don't know, gate opens this gate. I think that, that separates us to, to, you know, some talk about that veil, in the psychedelic journey, and I experienced that in ayahuasca, most certainly that veil between heaven and earth, you know, became a razor thin line uh, during that experience. So I, I think, uh, and I know that from my personal experience, you know, I, I uh, and it, I, I thought I was original when I was talking about wearing a mask all the time. And then I more and more people I talked to, everyone's like, oh, yeah, I wore a mask. Or I'm still wearing a mask, and I'm like, oh, I thought I was the only one was wearing a mask. No, it seems like because I think that's the trauma again. You know, it's it's we wear a mask because when we wear a mask, we fit in with whatever group we're in because we look like them, we sound like them, even though we're not like them because we're but this mask protects us mm -hmm. from whatever hurt we perceive or and again the 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 thing about trauma that blows my mind is, and again, I come back to veterans because you look at some of these guys that guys and women, but the guys, the story I'm thinking about is a guy in particular, but you know, he, he had seen so much death and destruction, uh, you know, he had TBI and, and uh, PTS and uh, moral injury and all these things. And, he went into ayahuasca thinking, you know, this is my last hope. And the first night, the trauma he saw was, see, I, I still, I hear these stories 20 times and I'm still affected by it. He, he was abused as a child and it had, that he had perfectly blocked it out as most of us do. We compartmentalize it in some sort of way. It sneaks out in horrible ways where we, you know, all of a sudden get angry at someone. We don't know why, or we all of a sudden feel great guilt or shame. We don't know why, but it's, it's locked down there. So that first night, you know, he was all prepared, you know, yeah, show me that death and destruction. And instead he sees this little boy and he witnesses this trauma. And, and so that first night he had to clear that and he thought, oh my God, you know, am I ever going to get to the war stuff? And then the next night or the next ceremony, that was the factor. And he's like, okay, now I've had two horrible nights. <laughs> you know, what, what, where's this love I hear about? 
And then the third night, after he had cleared all the stuff, the third night was his night of what he called pure bliss. And if that is not something we all want to seek and feel and maybe carry with us even after mm. that experience, you know, if we can care, if we, if we capture that feeling once, you know, we're going to find it again. You know, we're going to, we're going to find it. It doesn't have to be through psychedelics. It can be just through, Hey, I feel that love. Now I'm going to find how I can receive that love in other ways or whatever it might be. But love is, is definitely one of those things for sure. Yeah. It's, it always blows my mind to see what happens to someone when they face their traumas and they're able to, you know, I don't know that we necessarily ever get over them, but I think that you do become aware of them. And sometimes that's enough. It's enough to be aware. Hey, this happened to me and I can't change it. You know, like I I get goosebumps when I think about that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, 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 and the thing I want to stress is I was talking to this, um, uh, woman in my psychedelic society who just got out of, uh, you know, out of a horrible battered spouse relationship. And um, she did a psilocybin journey and she said it changed her from black to white, you know, dark, whatever you want to call it, just, just a complete flip and is self-love. But the thing that that got me, she said, you know, we're talking about how psychedelics really help with PTS. Mm -hmm. And she said, I I don't want to say this, but I think I have it. And I'm like, of course you have it. You know, I mean, not in that way. Yes, you have it. But (laughs) not in that way. But I mean, in a way of. Yes. I mean, uh, uh, post-traumatic stress is, yes, we talk a lot about it with veterans and military because they are, and, and police and firefighters, because they are exposed to these things, you know, every day sometimes. But anyone who's been in a traumatic situation can have post-traumatic stress. You know, it, uh, certainly domestic abuse, a, a car accident, wit- just witnessing a car, you don't have to even be in the accident, just witnessing it. So, I, that's one of the messages I want to get out there too is is we all have trauma. And even if we don't remember the trauma or recognize the trauma, that's our brain tricking us to just to keep us functioning. And I love you know thinking about trauma on this spectrum because you know uh, Dr. Gabor McKay talks about, you know, there's trauma from absence of love. It doesn't have to be abuse. It doesn't have to be, physically violent, it can be the absence of love and, and you know, his story of, of his mother giving him up to a person on the street for a couple, for like, uh, only a, a month or two months, but he was a, a, a very young child, a baby. So he had no memory of it at all, no memory of that experience. But later during a psilocybin journey, he had this profound sense of this is why he felt all his life he struggled with people telling him they loved him. Like, you know, I, I would, if I saw him today, I would say that too. I mean, he is a, the most beautiful soul and he's done so much toward healing. And if you've seen him on a podcast, I love him because he just talks so methodically and so beautifully. And you just want to sit there and say, yes, Dr. Matei, yes. But <laughs> 
anyway, but during this mushroom journey, he realized he said, this is why I was rejecting this love because I felt rejected as a baby and I never had that realization all his life. And once he had that realization, once he was healed from that, you know, all of a sudden he, he felt this profound love from his family and his, you know, his children, all the, they were giving him to him all these years, but he could never accept it. And now he could. And so, yeah, this trauma spectrum is, is, is without question, you know, we've all been traumatized. And, and again, just to reinforce back to this, this poor woman in my group, and it's not just veterans that have, that have post-traumatic stress. We, you know, we can, any of us can have it that have witnessed or experienced some, some traumatic event. Yeah. It's, it, it makes me wonder, like, what is it, what does it mean to triumph over trauma? My, I guess my great question, my, my view is, there's probably about four parts to it, but the, okay. I'm realizing the first part is triumphing over all the BS that we've been told for the last 50 years. So that's the first triumph. If you can get over the stigma or the stereotype, you know, I, I can't remember if I told you this last time, George, but it'll still stick with me uh, anytime I see an article in the mainstream that's that's posted on social media about psychedelics, you know, I'm always supportive of it, but then I look at the comments and people are like, Oh, you're just trading one drug for another. And, and, Oh, great. We're going to fix this by, by more drugs or, um, you know, Oh yeah, I, I want to have, I, I want to damage my DNA, just weird stuff that comes from the, the war on drugs. So the first triumph for me is that people can just be open to the idea of psychedelics as one healing modality. We know there are multiple healing modalities, but the one thing I truly love about psychedelics from every story I've seen, from all the research I've seen, is that it cuts through the BS to get to what you need to work on. I mean, I have a good friend of mine, his IQ is probably off the charts. He goes to therapy each, every week. And he, every once in a while, when we're talking about it, he, he brags about how he manipulates the therapy sessions to just talk about whatever he wants to talk about. And I'm like, so why are you doing therapy? Because it's, that's not the point of therapy. The point is not to manipulate your therapist. It's to get to some answers. And he said, oh, I just enjoy it. He's not going to get to his trauma through that. But the psychedelic journey will cut through that. Yeah. If, you know, especially a heavy enough dose, will yeah. cut through that and say, no, no, no more BS. Now I'm in control. And now we're going to show you and talk about this. So I, I love that. So that's so the, that's the first triumph is just people saying, hmm, okay, I've seen now, you know, we just had this Time Magazine article about a week ago. You know, it we've seen it in Rolling Stone, Sports Illustrated. So it's getting into the mainstream media. So now people are like, well, you know, so some are still, you know, maybe, but there are still a lot that are in that anti-drug modality so that that's one triumph and i think the, the second triumph is accepting that you're deserving of healing because i feel i 
again, in gathering some of these stories and just talking to people in general, there's a sense of, you know, this is my circumstance. You know, I, I don't, I don't deserve to get out of it. This is just the way life has put me. And it's like, no, 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 no. But again, whether it's the mental illness or life or whatever that's, that's put them in this corner and they feel like they deserve to be in that corner. And so that's the second triumph, just accept that you deserve healing. And the third thing, the third triumph is the actual healing. And that's, and that's something that sometimes happens during a psychedelic experience. Uh, we look at something like addiction where one psychedelic experience is enough, at least for short term, maybe not permanently, put them off whatever drug they were taking. Alcohol is one, especially one being studied. But the other thing is, is so I need, you know, the other factor that we, I know uh, Tom mentioned last time too, is, is, you know, we need to make sure we're talking about the integration part as well, because yes, occasionally these are, miracles i mean it, it truly is amazing when it, someone could take one psilocybin experience and say after a lifelong experience of drinking every day and saying no i i don't i'm not even thinking about a drink and it's like unbelievable so in that case it's, so, so there is you know i know we, we you know there's a lot of discussion within the psychedelic community about you know, it's not a magic pill, not a magic pill, not a magic pill. And I think that's important because I think in some ways, outside of psychedelics, we are seeking that magic pill. You know, when when people are, when the average number of prescription drugs is 13 prescriptions per, mm. per person. Yeah. And, you know, we hear about people being on maybe two antidepressants because one has a side effect they don't like. So they put another another one on to help that side effect and then maybe an anti-anxiety. So they're on multiple medications. So I think they're looking for that magic pill. And I don't know whether that, partly that's the pharmaceutical industry, partly that's the FDA, partly that's marketing because we're bombarded by those. You know, I, I, uh, I'm a cheapo guy, so I watch Hulu with commercials. <laughs> and I would say at least half the commercials are for pharmaceuticals and for pharmaceutical for conditions that are just non-life-threatening, you know, uh, skin rash or uh, I'm trying to think of some of the other things that, that are advertised. But and I'm not saying those aren't important. But so I think I think you know we are seeking that magic pill, and, and the psychedelics aren't that in most cases, but they are that avenue to mm -hmm. get us into that space where we can do the work, that healing work. Um, a lot of people refer to that as the inner child work, because that's often where a lot of that, that really bad abuse happens. And again, not necessarily physical abuse, but even just mental abuse that happens because the child brain, we just, we, we don't know how to process it. So we just, you know, just shove it down there. And so uh, these, these medicines cut through all the layers that would put down there to protect ourselves, to face it, to then, you know, come back to this notion that we've talked about earlier of, of then trying to live this authentic life. So I think, so, you know, my hope is there's a lot of triumphs 
here with this with this book. Yeah, I think it's a I think your book is a gateway to more triumphs for a lot of people. You know, the same way they talk about things so, being so. a gateway. And it you know, it does bring up the idea that for a long time we have been I don't want to say taught, I would say more like brainwashed to believe that a pill can fix your problems. And I yeah. I'd spoken about this with Maybe it was Matt. We were talking about the way in which our society or the current um, medical institutionalized idea of medicine, the idea of medicine these days seems yeah. to prefer a coping strategy versus a healing strategy. Healing. Yes. Right. It's like take this pill and you'll still feel like you'll still feel horrible. You still have your problems, but you can still get up and go to work. You'll still be mad at your spouse, but you yeah. feel just good enough to not to ignore them or something like yeah. that. And, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we, I think I think you had brought up in the book something about the antidepressant market is expected to reach twenty one billion dollars wow. yeah. by 2030. Like, what does that say about our society when the business model is more and more sick people and, you know, they don't want to heal them? Why would you want to yeah. heal them when you have a product that helps them right. cope with it? Right. It's it's sad to me. It, it, it greatly saddens me. And the same thing with especially with most of the psychedelics, which are plants or fungi. Mm -hmm. You know how how are these outlawed? This is you know when whenever in our history have we outlawed a plant? You know it's just bizarre <laughs> to me, especially a plant. You know and and the thing that really floored me and I I you know I just missed the the, the Woodstock LSD days, but I you know I never knew there was so much research done in the '60s. And so much use of LSD by psychiatrists for for therapy sessions, and I just feel I'm I'm so angered and and frustrated because you know we've lost hundreds of thousands of lives because of a political decision to block these medicines because oh we're afraid of the counterculture is gonna. Make, be too much about love and peace. Oh my God, that's horrible. How, how can we live in a world of love and peace and compassion? I don't know. And so, yeah, I, it, and I, 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 I worry about it in so many different levels. I just saw just another story today, George, and I know you've seen these too, because they've been running now for the last two months or so you know, the mental health of our children is at its most fragile point ever. Mm. Add that to the mental health of us as adults. And we're mentally challenged, mentally health challenged dealing with our children who are challenged. And we're, and yeah, and our, our solutions seem to be take a pill or in, or worse up the dosage. Oh, you're mm. not feeling quite enough. Well, it's, Give it a little higher and see what happens. And, and yeah, let's make you, you know, let's let's dull you down even more. And I think that's exactly right. We're in a in a in a, in a coping rather than healing. And and maybe that's why it's so hard to break through this message with this book and with psychedelics in general, because you know, maybe this belief that, you know, oh my gosh, we're, you know, I'm stuck. With, with antidepressants, you know, antidepressants, if you look at the research, they were designed just as a temporary fix. So in the deepest, darkest periods, you would take an antidepressant for, you know, three to five days until that depressive 
moment pass and then you would stop. And that's the only way they were tested was <laughs> in this process. And yet everyone I've talked to that's on an antidepressant has been on it forever, every day since they were first prescribed it. And so we're not even following our own research methods in terms of these medicines sometimes. So, uh, I, I, it, it, you know, I do feel sometimes a little hopeless about, about, about this. And I think I told you the, the, the time I knew that the world had changed dramatically was when I went in for my annual wellness check. And the first thing my doctor, who I'd been seeing for years at that point, first thing he said to me was, well, what prescription can I get you? Not, not even how am I? Not even how's it going? Haven't seen you in a year. You know, nothing. It was what prescription can I get you? And I just stood there stunned. And I thought, this is the world we've come to? And, and, you know, it wasn't like I was on any prescription. So it wasn't like, oh, well, you know, yes, last year we tried a, you know, blood pressure. So now he's checking on it. No, no, it was just a way of welcoming me to his office. You know, and it's, So I, I think that's, and I don't know how to, I don't know how to change that. Uh, you know, we have some, some naturopathic doctors that are doing great things and are trying to be a voice in, in the wilderness, but, you know, they are, typically poo-pooed by the medicine, medical community, quote unquote. And so, uh, but here's another example too, just thinking about that, because actually I just heard a story about a natural path doing this, which kind of blows my mind. One of the other things that just about this pill mentality we have is, I heard this from one woman and then I actually saw a paper about this, that, um, more and more women, more and more paramenopausal women, so premenopausal women, are being put on antidepressants. Hmm. Oh, first of all, this is a natural occurrence within the body. And this one woman I talked to said was just infuriated. She's like, well, first of all, this is a natural doctor. So I would expect, I don't consider antidepressants natural. So I was stunned by that. But also, you know, she said, all I was expressing was just kind of, you know, frustration about hot flashes and, you know, a couple other symptoms of, of perimenopause and to be immediately give, oh, you need a pill, take a pill, take a pill. It's like, yeah, we're, we're in a messed up society. If, you know, if this is our answer to everything is take a pill and you'll feel better. And I, I get the, the little problem with the book, because a lot of times these psychedelics are in a pill form, capsule form. So it's, I, I, you know, so, so it is a little tricky to say, yeah, get stop being that take a pill mentality to switch to psychedelics where you're going to take a pill, but maybe not. Maybe you're going to take a, a tea. Maybe you're going to smoke something. So it's a little different, but it, and it's also not that you're not going to take a pill the rest of your life. Even in microdosing, you take a pill couple days a week for a month and then you stop and what your body you know and and so but it, it's a hard message to get through because I, I it is this tricky line a slippery slope where we want to say uh you want to do that you want to get off those pills again with medical 
advice if your doctor if your doctor will even agree with you. We've had some people, some stories where the person's had to switch their doctor because they said, I want to taper off my medication so I can do a psychedelic journey. Mm-hmm. And the doctor said, oh, no, you can't do that. You need these things. And so it's like, what? <laughs> you know, again, I, I my best physician I ever had, uh, he was the one who always asked me, he never dictated to me. He asked me, how are you feeling? What What's going on in your life? What do you think you might need? What are you concerned about? And I think in today's, and that was, you know, unfortunately 10, 10, 15 years ago, in today's, you know, 15, 20 minute doctor appointment sessions we have, you know, they become in a sense a little more like pill pushers because yeah. it's like, how are you? He's, oh, okay. Check your blood pressure, temperature. The nurse has done that, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Here's your new prescription or I'll call it in for you and, and, and then, you know, see you in a month or see you six months or whatever. And, and, um, I don't know, we, we just need to figure out a way to change that somehow. Yeah. I, it brings up some interesting points, you know, and I, I'm a big fan of as above, so below. And when I think about modern medicine, when I think about pills, when I think about our society, I think about this formula of like distraction and addiction versus confrontation. And it, mm-hmm. like, let's take a look at our society today. Why is it that so much of the business world is based on a model of addiction? Like if you like you, if you buy a copier, I'll give you that copier, but I'm going to addict you to the ink and you're going to pay for it forever. Yep. You know, I'll give you a Microsoft computer, but you're going to buy that software forever. That's like that's the same model as addiction. That's like me going and getting some crack. Hey, the first one's free. Every every good drug dealer knows that. The first one's yeah. free. Yeah. Right? And so it's just I had this idea a while back like gosh, dang it, man. Like that makes me first off upset. Like the business world has said, "Wow, look at this model of addiction. Wouldn't that be great if we could just slip into that?" And you can even see it with the subscription-based services as a model coming now, where everyone wants to go to the subscription-based service. Yeah. But if you just pan back a little bit, you go, wait a minute. not You can't afford that many subscriptions. You yeah. know, like what's going to happen? It's not going to work. So if we can look at the business model and know that this model is not going to continue to work, it's breaking, then we also can look at this addiction model towards medicine and go, well, that's not going to work either. Yeah. And what we have with psychedelics is, even though it may come in a pill form, it's neither a distraction nor is it an addiction. It's a confrontation. Yeah. Like you said, your friend can take that and he's not, he can manipulate the therapist until he's blue in the face. Yeah. But let me give you eight grams of psilocybin mushrooms. And let me see you manipulate that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can. And yeah. you, you may be in your bed crying, but guess what? Yeah. You're going to, you're going to confront the demon yeah. That or the maybe not a demon, maybe the threshold guardian. You know, Joseph Campbell talks about these threshold guardians, and maybe that's what it is. Yeah. And that to me, if I can see that, and I can see the 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 doors breaking down in business, I can see people coming through addiction, and I myself have gone through different confrontations and left the old skin that I was in at that confrontation point. You can see the world changing, and I think that that is cause for celebration with books like yours, with you know, Matt Zeman being on every single podcast, every single day, every time I turn on the channel. Yeah. I love that guy. He's on everywhere, yeah. you know, yeah. with people like Ranga coming from India, moving to Canada. Yeah. going, you know what? I don't know about being a mechanical engineer anymore. I think I'm going to do this other thing. Yeah. Like you can see the world changing in positive ways, one person at a time. 
And maybe that is the triumph over trauma. Maybe that is the idea of one at a time, it's slow at first and then all at once. Because yeah. all of a sudden, once you start getting some thought leaders through their trauma, and this is one thing I tell people who have PTSD or maybe have been in a battered relationship is that it's necessary. I know it sounds horrible. I know it sounds selfish, yeah. but something bigger than both of us needed you to go through that so you can come through on the other side and now you can turn around and help the next person up. And that only takes a few, it takes maybe a generation before the model goes from an addiction and a distraction to, hey, I'm going to turn around and help that next person up. And then that becomes the pattern. That becomes the the catalyst to move us forward. And I, I think with books like yours and even though it was hard and you know you you still tear up a little bit when you start hearing these stories it's like that's all necessary and the more people we can affect the more people we can get to confront that which is dragging them down yeah. the more that they can become the dragon and 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 fight for it but yeah I, I see that model changing and i i i do which leads me to my next question and that is the idea of integration what do you think is the relationship between trauma and integration all right before we get to that yeah good question. i want to i just want to come back to one thing you yeah, said please, that is important please. <clears throat> yeah we, we, i i'm also you know we have so much baggage we have in, in this because of the politics and i love that you said challenging because that's one of my other little soapbox issues even people within psychedelics are still saying bad trip and it's like no, no, no. That that's that's the politics. That's the fried yeah. egg and the you know it's burning up in the pan. <laughs> the fried egg. Yeah, it's funny. You know, no, you know it's yes. You will face some challenging things. I like that comfort. I like the your word confrontational. Uh, I was a little scared at first when you mentioned it because like confrontation to me, like I'm a peacemaker. That, that <laughs> you know, I grew up in a family where at at some point that role was put on me and I've mm. worn that mantle ever since. Right. And I, I, to this day, I, I hate confrontation and that's a whole nother story down the road, but, <laughs> um, but I like how you say it, frame it in this thing, because we have to, uh, we, we talk about surrender yeah, and um, sometimes the challenging aspects happen when we don't surrender and the medicine is like, you have to, you have to let it go. You have to let it go. And we're like, no, 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 I need it. I need it. I need it. So sometimes that's the challenging part. And then, or like you said, or if you just do a, a heroic dose of whatever it is, there'll be no surrender because you'll just go right into it. And then the challenging thing might be some of the things you have to face, but you have to face them, but you're in a safe spot to face them. They'll, they still might be Obviously, things you'd rather see the rainbows and the unicorn than this whatever dark thing you're facing. But once you've done it, then the light comes, and so that's like you said that that's the important part. So yeah, there, yeah, psychedelics aren't all yeah they aren't all unicorns and, and rainbows, and you will face some 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 dark, challenging aspects to it. The thing I love is what uh, one of the ayahuasca people told me is you know. Uh, you know, if you're in this journey and don't like what you're doing, swipe left or swipe right, you know, move, move the, the, change the, change what you're seeing, or as other people say, find the next door, you know, okay, I want to go through that door. Not this, this is, this room is done, you know, just, just acknowledge it and move on. And so I think that, mm. that, that's a, a big role to it, but anyway, no, yeah, but not bad trips, you know, you're not gonna, uh, 
I can honestly say on any psychedelic experience, I, I, you know, I've had a hard enough time getting up from my, wherever I'm sitting, let alone <laughs> wanting to jump off a building or whatever, yeah. you know, the crazy anti-drug stuff that we heard. All right. So back to your uh, question about integration and trauma. I, I, I love integration. So integration is this word that we all throw around in the, in the space and maybe we should define it first. Yes. Right. So to me, integration is simply taking the, okay, let me backtrack. Okay. Let me define it. I'll backtrack, whatever. Uh, <laughs> so integration is taking the lessons that you learned or the things you saw, what you felt, the entire psychedelic experience. And, and by the way, can, you also need to integrate when you're doing microdosing, where you still have, you're still having the medicine within you, but you're not having the hallucinogenic experience. Anyway, so integration is just saying, you know, what did I learn? What did I see? What did I hear? What lessons should I be taking? And then trying to incorporate them into what you, I think what you said, which is, I, I wish I, I need to be. I'm gonna watch. I'm gonna rewatch this to get all your words, George. But, <laughs> uh, I think it was, you know, that you you talked about, uh, you know, in that healing of being able to, to, oh, to, yeah, leaving that, you know, integration is leaving that dead skin, that old skin mm. over there, and now, now that I'm in this new skin, which is also sometimes a little fragile. Yeah. How do I protect this new skin? How do I move it forward? How do I, how do I grow with it? And I, um, you know, integration is comes in all different formats. So the uh, what we what I recently thought about, and I to wait for the book, but um, Jenny and I were talking. One of the most important things about integration is we talk about having community, having people to share this with, because it is outworldly it is different uh you know we've all talked to friends or relatives and then you just hear crickets because they don't know how to respond yeah. to you like oh yeah I, I just had the psychedelic experience and and you know i was talking with jesus and yeah okay, <laughs> okay. Uh, next topic you know how's yeah. the weather oh yes uh so you know we talk about in a psychedelic experience, having uh, preparation, the psychedelic experience, and then integration, the three key components of, of the psychedelic journey. And I would actually, we usually talk about community in, in integration, but I would actually say it should be in preparation that you start mm. seeking out that because there's a, a story in the book about Charles and Charles was in a bad place. He was in a you know group of people that were doing alcohol, heroin, coke, all the hard drugs. And he just happened upon a psychedelic experience. It wasn't intentional at the time, but it was enough so that the medicine told him, you don't need these drugs anymore. You don't need the alcohol anymore. You can heal yourself. So stop it stop doing the drugs and he came out of that experience like hallelujah oh my god i am a changed person and he looked around the room 
and there were the people passed out from their heroin or whatever. And he actually became more alone, more traumatized in a way because he withdrew from that crowd because he didn't want to do it anymore. But then he had no, no one else because his whole community was this other people doing drugs. And so he actually went back to alcohol and drugs until he had another psychedelic experience. And then he luckily did find community. So that's why to me, it's so important to, you know, if you're thinking about psychedelics is to start looking, you know, at a psychedelic society. There are ones all across the world, all across the country. Uh, that's a good thing. Or amazingly, even on, you know, Facebook or LinkedIn, there are people talk, yeah, it still blows my mind that LinkedIn, <laughs> we're talking about psychedelics. I, I, I love it, but, you know, I look at LinkedIn from like five years ago versus LinkedIn today, and it, it's like night and day. Um, but so, so integration is, basically integration is, is just saying, and you can do integration by yourself. Um, journaling is, is a, one, yeah. probably the number one tool people use is so, you know, right. Some people during the, during a psychedelic experience actually journal. There's no way in most of mine that I could have journaled. LSD is a little different for me because it's not quite as inward a, an experience for me. It's psilocybin. I, I am in my own little world. I mean, psilocybin, <laughs> I can't even speak. <laughs> You know, like uh, Jenny and I were on a journey and there was this song that was just driving me into this dark, deep valley. And I, I, on one hand, I think I wanted to be there. So I think that's partly why I wanted to find out why am I in this valley? But on the other hand, I was like screaming, when is this song going to end so I can get out of this damn valley? And she's sitting right next to me and she has her phone. She could fast forward that song and I could look at her and I could try to telepathically tell her that, but I, I physically could not. So it, it may, it, it's, it, you know, I love, again, everyone's experience is different. I love that some people have their phone with them and actually do voice notations during their journey. Yeah. It's like, yeah. wow, I got to try that. Cause I, I want to hear how I sound, <laughs> but so integration is just, you know, whatever, whatever tools you have, some people paint, some people dance, uh, create different things, but talking, I think, and, and that's why these stories, these writing these stories and sharing these stories, that's integration because you are, the more you talk about it, the more little nuanced things you pick up. And to me, that's the one really fascinating part about psychedelics is Sometimes you have some amazing insights a week, a month later, because, you yeah. know, the, the, what we're discovering, as you know, Jordan, you've talked about this, is, you know, all these new brain connections. I mean, to me, that actually, I'm torn between the healing, which I think is just so beautiful, and that our brain psychedelics actually help our brains yeah. grow again. We you know, we thought for so many years that our brains, you know, stopped growing in our 20s. And this idea that, that that we're making these new connections and it might take a month, it might take two months before that connection to finally then all of a sudden mm -hmm. fire up. And then all of a sudden, you, you know, you're just sitting there thinking about it. Oh, wow. You know, just a brilliant insight. And so, uh, 
you know, integration, again, I used to think integration, oh, you know, yeah, maybe oh, a week, a month, you know, six months after after a journey. And and now I'm more on that bandwagon of, you know, it's really a lifetime because you, I mean, you're not going to constantly go back, oh, let's think about that, you know, that experience on my, on my uh, deck and that LSD experience. It's not so much like a nostalgic thing. It's more... Again, just sort of looking at the pieces, um, I had a friend who did a, a psilocybin journey, and all he did, according to him and his spouse, all he did during the journey was laugh uncontrollably and then apologize because he wasn't speaking clearly, which his spouse says he was, and... And, and so I said, well, what do you think that means? I said, what, uh, did you journal about it? He's like, journal about it? Why would I need to journal about it? Nothing happened. I said, I said, you just told me what happened. He said, oh, no, laughing. That's nothing. I, I was just laughing. I couldn't stop it. And, and then this, the speech thing, I don't know. I guess I'm just very particular about how I sound. And I said, buddy, there are messages there. There's something going on. I said the laughing could just be a release. So that that right. I mean that that's just you're releasing something, but maybe it's a good idea to find out what you're releasing because that could help you. And then the apologizing for your speech, wh where is that coming from? And and, mm. and you know, dig down into you know, is that that sounds like and he's a guy that has um he's a really, really successful guy, but he has a little bit of a fragile ego. A little self-confidence issue and i think that that's that's it right there where he's talking about his you know in his journey where he's so not confident about his speech and so anyway so mm. again he's never going to understand any of that if he doesn't integrate and so that's the other thing you know, so no matter how inconsequential and again if you do a lower dose of a of any medicine you're going to have a maybe a less of a psychedelic experience than what you're expecting. And of course, one of the things we also say is don't have any expectations go into it. Just go into it open, willing to see what the medicine is going to show you. Um, but, you know, the, 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 you need to, there's always something that happens in a journey and you need to find a way to integrate. And yeah, there might be some that are just minor things, but the more you write down, and then if you do another psychedelic experience or you try microdosing, um, you know, more things are going to come up. And, and and that's the key, I think, to healing. That's the key to, I think, what you said earlier, and I'm not going to say it again as nicely as you did, but kind of unlocking this universal, you know, I, 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 I'm... You know, I'm a, I'm a son of a scientist. I grew up in a rational home for the first 18 years. I couldn't use I couldn't use an emotion if I tried because <laughs> only rational arguments, discussions won in that household. So I still have that 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 half of me. I'm, I'm I, on the Myers Briggs. I'm just on that TF right in half half. So. I like the rational science aspects of the psychedelics, but I do like the, I do like the little bit of the woo woo. So I like that notion of that psychedelics can unlock this understanding that we are all part of one community. We are not different. 
And I love what one veteran said to me, you know, he's like, you know, the, there wouldn't be wars anymore because we would realize we're fighting our brothers and our sisters, not the enemy. And I was like, wow. I mean, that, that is profound. That, that, you know, that, that brings you a little away from the woo woo to a more rational, you know, look at that, but it's so true. I mean, we look at things like sustainability. I love the other aspect of the psychedelic movement is that when people have these psychedelic experiences, they, they tend to be more grounded in nature. All of a sudden they, they see more of the fragility of the earth and more respect for the earth and sustainability and, and better farming. And we see people eating better and taking care of themselves better. So there's another aspect of triumphing over, yeah. you know, our sad American diet, you know, our standard American diet, which we call sad, which, you know, has so much processed and fast foods, and, mm. you know, we're, we're killing our bodies that way too. I mean, there's so much healing that needs to be done, but I think, you know, psychedelics just awakens us to, I, again, sounds more spiritual than it is healing, but I think it does sort of open us to this notion that our bodies are a temple, not maybe, and again, not in this religious strict container of that, but in the sense that, all our systems should be flowing a hundred percent. And when we're, and when we're hurt and traumatized, they're not operating at a hundred percent. And one system's partial failure affects another system. Yeah. And so that's why often we have physical ailments when we have mental ailments, because they're all connected in that way. And again, that's amazing to me as we look at psychedelics as a way of, just fostering this 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 whole system approach to healing rather than just pieces of a system. Yeah, that's really well said. I as you were talking, it, it I had this question in my mind that we talk about healing all the time. But what's happening when we're healing is we're learning. And I, yeah. when you were talking, like th those two words can almost be synonymous, healing and learning. You know, it's like when when we when you are making these new connections in your brain like i had a good friend whose father had a stroke and he had to teach himself mm -hmm. how to talk again and what was explained to me is that okay this small part of his brain over by broca's area it didn't get enough blood and so that part died and he had to reestablish new connections like a bypass the same way you would bypass a heart surgery and you can do it if you practice and you go to therapy and in some ways that seems to me to be what's happening on some of these entheogens or psychedelics is that you're making these new connections and you're learning how to get past that trauma. You're learning how to see the world different. You're learning how to shed that skin. And it's, it's so fascinating to me because I, I think that, you know, we, we spoke about this earlier, but we have been trying to put band-aids on these traumas, whether it's in the individual's life, the society's life, the state's life, the country's life, you know, it's it's the same thing, just on different scales. Yeah. And it, it seems to me for the first time, maybe since the 50s or since this this particular this particular psychedelic outreach has been happening, is that we're healing from the ground up now. Yeah. You know, the same way that the forest makes new brush after a fire. So, too, are we. We're the new brush. And yeah. there's all these people that are beginning to grow up around the broken, old, burned down trees and. It's 
it's beautiful to me in so many ways because I can see people around me that I know and I love coming to coming to the end of their trauma for the first time. And some of these people are like my parents that are in their 70s. And some of them are my uncles that for the first time are saying, you know what? I'm a dummy. I, mix, I messed up a lot of things. And they're not saying it as a pejorative. They're saying it as like an enlightened, maybe not enlightened, but they're coming to their own conclusion. Hey, I can fix this. It's my fault. I can fix it. If I did it, I can fix it. I'm the one that can do it. Yeah. And it's it's beautiful in a lot of ways. I also, on, on that same notion, I, I see, I don't know if you've seen your book like this, but this is a radical way of doing business to me. And I, I, maybe you can, mm-hmm. you know, you're giving your proceeds to someone. I want you to touch on that. But okay. you came up with an idea or you had an idea handed to you that you that you embellished, that you wrote, that came from somewhere. And then you included everybody in the community that wanted to be part of it. You invited them in and you guys created something. And now you're taking that creation and you're giving it to someone else that can heal. Like what a radical community Hmm. model to raise money, to raise awareness and make the entire system around you better. I've often said that if you want to make the world better, start with yourself and then make everyone around you better. And like, this is one of the first books that I've seen, Rand. I'm, I'm really impressed by it and I'm really stoked about this model of it. So can you tell me mm. about this model, where the proceeds are going, the people that you got involved in and how it's all transpiring? Mm. Uh, George, can we just do this every day? I, I... <laughs> <laughs> it's you beautiful. Know, yeah. I mean, first I just want to say, and and this is really truly from my heart that, you know, I, I love promoting Matt, Matt Zeman, I love promoting his book. I love uh, Amanda's book, Psyched. Uh, Christian has a book for microdosing. There's so many books out there. And, and one of the things I, my, I, my hope about psychedelic community, and it's partly there, it's not all the way there, is we just want, like, I don't, I don't care if, if, if Matt's book becomes a New York Times bestseller and mine's number 10,000. All I care about is that people are getting the message because so, and that's why, you know, besides obviously having a good laugh doing this with you, that's why, you know, going on podcasts and just trying to get this, you know, I had a friend text me today and say, how's the book going? And I'm like, you know, if I could find that one switch that would get, this book, my book, or or Matt's book, or one other book out there, you know, NPR book review or New York mm-hmm. Times book review. I don't care which whose book it is, as long as what, as long as I see psychedelics on the top yeah. ten list, wouldn't that be awesome? And and not be a mainstream book, not be a How to Change Your Mind, which right. is fantastic. Love that book, love the miniseries, but I would love to see someone from our yeah group that has this knowledge be on that list. So we'll see. Maybe it'll happen. Um, the one thing I love about psychedelics and, 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 you know, again, maybe that's my altruistic element to myself and hope for the future. I'm, you know, part of my, I guess, viewpoint as a peacemaker is I always want to see the, see the rainbow possibility, maybe not the rainbow every day, but the possibility of that rainbow. And so I see psychedelics as this 
you know, yeah, I I like having the rose-colored glasses on as often as I can. I have to take them off once in a while when we see some you know bad stuff happening. But you know, I would I would love because again, so many of these are plants or or natural materials to just see you know access 100% access to anyone who can do it. You know, ketamine is the only legal quote unquote psychedelic uh, being you allowed in, in the US right now, but those treatments are ridiculously expensive. And I would say in general, well, ketamine is a treatment and it's doing amazing things. I don't think it's the ideal psychedelic. So I'd rather see psilocybin on that be on that list. And I guess slowly it will be. Um but the model is so this book, I think one of the things only talk about ego death for a second too. Yeah. One of the things that psychedelics does, and we've labeled this an uh, ego death or ego disillusion, and I think some people get scared of that because they think, well, how am I going to come back if I don't have an ego? And it's like, that, that's not exactly what happens. So I guess we need a better way of describing that too. But so I have a hard time even calling this my book because of this process. And so I, like a lot of times they'll say the book and Jen will look at me like, really? <laughs> but you get to this place where it's not that you don't have ego. It's not that like if that if my book were our number one on the bestseller list, I wouldn't sit there and do a little happy dance for 10 minutes or all day or whatever. But <laughs> But that'd be just a happy dance. It wouldn't be like Thanks. ego in the sense of like, oh, to me, ego is my book deserves to be on the number right. one list. And, and and so I think what psychedelics does is it just, besides the healing factor of the trauma, it also resets yourself in seeing as you're not as important as you think you are. And again, you don't, I don't think I ever had that big an ego before. Uh, you know, I, I think I, you know, being a PhD, you sometimes get a little ego there and you want people to say Dr. Hanson rather than Mr. Hanson, at least in the classroom. But, you know, I don't think I ever had that, that sense of that, but the, but the psychedelics definitely shredded what ego I had and, and then just rebuilt it. You come back with an ego, but it's just a different ego and it's so hard to describe, but it's like a, a mellow, a mellow ego where you, still have your skills and you still know like i feel like i'm a good writer and so this is one of the reasons why i think lsd chose me for this book um and then it gave me some extra skills to like i said uh, you know smoking the keyboard literally almost um okay now i've just totally lost where we're going with that <laughs> question uh oh 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 so so one of the things in this one of the things in this journey that the the medicine told me not just it didn't just give me the outline but it said the way you're going to do this is you're going to foster healing a second way by donating the profits to organizations that are helping people heal or helping in the healing process and so i thought that was fabulous it's it's a way you know to you know, in one hand, the other model would be just giving the book away. Um, but I think in that model, I think people need to, if they purchase it, there's more of a commitment to actually read it than if they just get a free copy and it sits there in their 
inbox or their you know bookshelf and they never read it. But in this way, everyone who buys a book, not only are they hopefully learning more about potential healing themselves, but all the proceeds are going to go to three different organizations, a Heroic Hearts Project, which was a project that the nonprofit that actually got us both involved in the psychedelic space to begin with. And uh, they are healing veterans by sending them down to ayahuasca retreats in Peru. And they are also actively involved in research. Uh, they're doing research with uh, psilocybin and TBIs and they've done some with uh, PTS as well, I think. And then uh, Chakruna Institute, which is focusing on the indigenous and BIPOC community and, and trying to create more, uh, that's the right word, um, availability, access to everyone, uh, psychedelics access. And then to the Fireside Project, which is just really neat nonprofit that's a peer support line. So if someone's doing a psychedelic journey on their own, which they shouldn't, but if they are and they get a little frightened by a challenging experience. They can use the, an app or call on their phone and speak to a peer that'll kind of help talk them talk them down through that experience. So all three are going to donate th from this. So yeah, it's so it's a truly healing healing model, um, both from the person who buys a book and then from their money, their resources are then going to help others heal. I love it. It it's such a unique way to give back to a cause that has given you so much. Yeah. You know, and that and that goes for all of us. And I, you know, here in Hawaii, we have something called the Clarity Project. And there's a some really good people working on we're at the early stages of trying to get psychedelics as as a medicine here. And it's just now going through the the legislature and they're you know yeah. they're putting some testimonies forward and there's some really good people at the helm of that. And so when I saw the way in which you were presenting this model, I automatically reached out to them and I was like, look, here's something that Ran has created that I think other communities could begin to implement or and they could even be synergistic. You know, if if you have a team of doctors that or a community, I, I love the way that you reached out to the community and you and they shared their stories with you. Yeah. And, you know, alone, a story is a beautiful thing that can help people. But a story could be the very thing other people live by. We all tell stories. We all have narratives we live by. And if we can get powerful stories and put them together in a collection, that collection can change people's lives. And if it can do that, it can generate revenue to build a project. So whether it's the Clarity Project, yeah. getting authors together, you know, and it's not too far fetched to think that there couldn't be some sort of speaking tour that every, if, if our community got together where, Hey, Rand, we want you to come out to Hawaii and maybe give up in auction off some signed books, or we could have some of the authors from Hawaii going to these different places, but we could have, you know, there's no reason why we can't continue to grow together as a community and sponsor or send the profits towards something that continues to grow. And then those people help people and then they start kicking in, you know, and you can really begin to see a different business model beginning to take shape if we continue to move forward on that. But this is the first yeah. time I've seen it like this and I'm just, I'm really impressed by it. And I, I really admire the way you've done it there. And well, and no, no credit to me, George. So it's, again, the medicine or, or, right. or whatever, um, yeah, I, I love that idea. You know, I, I 
I love the idea of, because, you know, all these states now are, are looking at, well, I shouldn't say all, many states right. are looking at some sort of medical therapy bill, bill, some decrim, all the decrim seems to have slowed right. down a little bit. And so I, I think there, it would be amazing to have, and I don't know what the format would be, but the one, the one problem I have is we're doing a great job of talking amongst ourselves in the psychedelic community. And that's great because we're building this base of knowledge that, and, and, and that all of us can share, but we need to get the word out to the people that need to hear it. And so I, I, you know, so I'm, I've sort of been strong armed into going to the maps conference in Denver, but that's not where I want it. I mean, I, I'm looking forward to this meeting a lot of the people that I sure. network with, but that's not the community I want to talk with because I, I they're healed or they're being healed. I want to, so I, you know, I would love this idea of a nonprofit, like you said, nonprofit. And again, not even an expert's panel, not necessarily an author's panel, but just a, a healer, not even a healer because I'm not a healer, but I, so I would have to find the right name for it, but I love that idea of, of, you know, doing like a, you know, a 50 state tour. Yeah. Going to legislatures and, or just town hall meetings and yeah. just trying to, to get the word out. Because I think again, if, you know, whether it's a podcast or, you know, people are now getting on CNN sometimes, that's all great. But I think when you can be in person, and then that person can ask questions. So we can have a town hall and people can, you know, raise some of these questions that are, that people are listening to this podcast or even thinking like, you know, well, I, you know, I heard, you know, you know, you might not come back from a psychedelic journey or something like that. And, and, and they can't ask that during a podcast, but they could ask that in a town hall meeting. And so, yeah, maybe that's, maybe we should put that out there to all the thought leaders out there. I yeah. would love, to, and again, not for me, I don't need to be part of it. I would definitely take part because I enjoy obviously being that educator, but I, I would love to see some movement to the general public because that's, you know, I, I, I talk about the, the audience for my book is the psychedelically curious, you know, they heard about psychedelics not too sure what what it's about which is why i had these introductory chapters that you talked about that build up into the journey uh because i felt like they needed to have that information and we needed to kind of just interface discount all the lies and mistruths but then the stories yeah the stories are the meat of it where they can really see that healing and so um yeah i i think that some notion of that would be a really cool process. I don't know what, what it would look like, but that's the, the other thing I want to mention. I know you brought this up with Tom a little bit because Tom is a, Tom DiNardo is a big proponent of, of ethics in, in all areas, but obviously especially psychedelics. And, and that is one of my fears. You know, we, that's why I, I love that you mentioned this business model, though, again, not that I thought of it, but I, you know, we, we talk about, yeah, everyone needs to make money. We're not saying, making money is a bad thing we need that we need to pay rent or mortgage buy our food but we can do it in an ethical manner that doesn't gouge people doesn't uh you know 
make them spend $10,000 to get prime rib while they're having ayahuasca and throwing it up the next, you know, whatever, you know? Uh, so, uh, you know, I, so I love this because this would be, you know, again, this is, this model is of just sharing information and, and giving of our, whoever's on that giving of themselves their time, their energy to, to just showcase that knowledge and, and uh, pass this healing message on. So whatever, whatever way we can do it, George, I'm there. And if you figure it out, I'll be right behind you. Yeah, it seems I think that there's a whole lot of areas that we have really yet to drill down on. I'm going to be speaking with a, a young lady, Serena, who's just getting to start a law firm and talking about the different laws about psychedelics. And that's something, too, that you don't like here in Hawaii. We're beginning to give testimony about how it could heal and why it's good. I think a beautiful compliment to that testimony would be why let me show you why it's financially viable for the community as well because when you have these people healed you can have less crime when you have like there's a lot of financial components that i think people aren't talking about and i don't know them all because it's just beginning to bloom it's just beginning to unfold in places like colorado yeah. but i do think that the people at the legislature at the town halls i think when you when you want to reach them, you got to speak their language and their language is more of a financial language. And that's fine because there's plenty of financial avenues that psychedelics can speak to, whether it's healing, whether it's trauma, whether it's revitalizing communities, you know, how, how will the relationship work with homelessness? If we know a large percentage of people that are homeless have mental illness, and we know that psychedelics is doing a really good job at helping people with mental illness. Does that mean we're going to be able to find places for these people to work? Does that mean they're going to be able to be a little bit more responsible in finding their housing? And, you know, what happens if we can get people out from underneath bridges and into some sort of community housing where they can benefit the community? And I don't know if any of these topics are being brought up at the town halls. I think that these ideas are potentially more of a game changer or they're, you know, if, if you go to somebody and you want money, if you go to somebody and you want something, you have to show them, yeah. this is why I want it. And I think that these conversations would help. So, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be the merry pranksters rolling in in a school bus. Right. that's painted right. in day glow colors. I don't have any problem with that. I think it's <laughs> kind of fun, but you know, it, it can be a lawyer. It can be, uh, you know, someone who owns a community center or a wellness center, a doctor, a psychotherapist. I think yeah. that that would make up a few authors, you know, someone that works in the community. But I think that that sort of team coming to a legislature puts a grown up face on psychedelics where maybe yeah. the first wave of psychedelics was these Ken Kesey and all these guys. But I think if yeah. you brought that particular set to the town hall meetings, I think that you know, you, you would really be able to drive some points home there. It's, just, it's fascinating to me because it's 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 a time where new laws are being made. New ideas are blooming. And I, you know, new books like like Triumph Over Trauma are coming out and making a difference here. And so it's it's fascinating to me. I, I really think that it's a it's a real opportunity for for the world to take that next step forward. And it's it's really fascinating to me. Was there I, any? I, please go ahead. I was going to say, no, I, I love what you just said, speaking the language, because that's, that's a, you know, wonder that's a basic communications protocol. You know, you, yeah. if you want to get your message across, you speak their language, you code it uh, yeah. their way. Yes. So I love that. Yeah. And, and you're right. I mean, there are, you know, I've just, I've sort of been focusing more on, on all the 
bad negative stuff from the past, but you're right. All this, if we look, flip it to the future, we're talking about, you know, reduction in hospitalization costs, medical costs, how, you know, yeah, uh, all the homeless costs that we have, the war on drugs, which has been the most ridiculous thing. We could reinvest that to education and other ways. So, you know, that's actually, I love, I'm going to work on that some more because I love that idea, George. I think that that is key. And especially at the national level where almost every legislator is a lawyer. So you definitely need to be speaking (laughs) in those terms. Yeah. Um, But yeah, yeah. Doctors and, 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 you know, we have so many of these people in the community already. Uh, We have this, uh, this is one pharmacist I love on, on LinkedIn who, is like I, I can't be a retail pharmacist anymore because I have to speak the truth about these medications and what and, and side effects and polypharmacy and, mm. and all all the stuff. And I'm like, wow, you know, the world is slowly opening up. And it, it wasn't that she did psychedelics; it's just that she just saw the BS in the pharma in the pharmacy industry and said, I can't do it anymore. Yeah. Um, and I think I think we need to do it sooner rather than later. I, I had someone tell me the other day, and it really is kind of just sitting in the back of my head depressing me a teeny bit but not too much but uh he said i think the earth is in a mental health crisis mm. and i was like whoa you know if, if again if we sort of push beyond what that the words mean to a broader sense you know the the violence we're seeing in the climate and uh, depletion of our soil and things like that. Yeah. I would say maybe the earth is a little depressed. So, um, and you know, that just sort of fits. And so, you know, if, if we as a collective are feeling this heavy weight on our shoulders from our own traumas and burdens, and then the earth itself is sort of carrying that weight, we, you know, we have this, duty to to do just what you're saying to really you know take up this mantle i mean so there yeah there there are two avenues we really should be pursuing we should be pursuing at the individual level for healing and at the legislative level for clearing the way yeah for that healing yeah you know one of the the biggest when you when you start reading some of the projections for budgets whether it's state whether it's federal what you're seeing people really worried about is healthcare. you know there's such an aging population and there's you know and 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 we seem we seem as a society to do what we do as individuals and we hide that trauma the same way you have childhood trauma and you lock it away so too do we have these giant problems staring at us we're like let's just not face that Hey, look at look at the mental illness. Look at the people aging. Look at these drugs. We're not doing anything. And people are like, "Yeah, just shut up about it. Let's not talk about it." Yep. Like if like, yeah, put the blinders if, on. Yeah, just pretend it's not there. Like, and that's the same thing we do. Yep. So if and here's why I think psychedelics are such a potential for greatness. You 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 just said that it seems that the same way the individuals sick, maybe the world's sick. And I, I think that we're just an extension of the planet. If you want to know what's wrong with the planet, look at your life. Right. The same way we poison ourselves with food is the same way we poison the earth with chemicals in Ohio from a train. Uh, it's not yeah. that different. You're yeah. putting poison in your body. You're putting poison in the planet. So if you want to stop 
all those problems, like the trains overflowing with chemicals, then how would you stop putting chemicals in your body? Well, I would take more precautions. I would have a better set of standards. Okay, well, if you have that for yourself, have it for the planet. And I think you could take that same model and give it to the government. Like, okay, look, we have to deal with healthcare. Here yeah. is this psychedelic. Psychedelic breaks the pattern of addiction in individuals. Why wouldn't it break the pattern of addiction in society? If it yeah. works in this model and you look at, you have like 40 different models in here. If each person's story is a model, they may not work exactly the same, but the undertone of solving problems is right here. Yeah. And so if it works on the individual level, why wouldn't it work at a local level? Why wouldn't it work at a state level? Why wouldn't it work at a giant level? And I really think that if people can take this argument to the legislatures, whether it's the Clarity Project, whether it's different projects in Colorado, New Mexico, Washington, Oregon, wherever you're at, if you can speak the language to the legislature, look, we have a problem with healthcare. This model has like how, you know what? Every one of these stories in here is like its own clinical trial, right? It's yeah. an individual yeah going through their own clinical trial, telling you what happened, telling you how they got over it. And this is one, I mean, there's millions of these stories probably. Yeah. You've yep. put together a lot of them, but you could take, we could take this book to the legislature and be like, just read this. This solves a lot of it. Yeah. And so I, I think that it's not my idea or your idea, but it's yeah. the, it's our idea, all of us waking up to this. Okay, we, we've got a solution and it's staring at us right here. And it's happening in Colorado. It's happening in Washington. It's happening in all over the world. We're waking yeah. up to it. And I, I really think that it's a big part of it. And like, that's one reason, like I, I keep thinking every time I see this book, Randall, I keep thinking of like different things that it is or different yeah. messages it's sending to me. So thank you for that. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, if there's a donor out there that wants to uh, send these books to all the state legislators, <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, well, I got... I got some I got some questions right here that people yeah. were hitting us up in the chat. Let me just start off with a couple okay, of them. Okay, because I haven't been looking at it at all. So yeah, okay, okay. So we start off with our our friend Bernadette here, and she says that she loves how the book is structured. She loves the inspiring quotes, the fun facts, the facilitator tips, and of course the personal stories. Oh. What what would you tell Bernadette? Well, first, I love you. Thank you. Uh, no, <laughs> no payment was done on, for this. <laughs> uh, the 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 other thing that I truly love about the psychedelic experience is once you're healed, you just have more compassion first for yourself, which I think is vital. We have to love, you know, again, self love, not in love with self, but you know, you and then love for others, and this this. Burnett's quote here is just the perfect example of that, you know, just supportive, um, caring, willing to take the time to do that. I, I will say that I purposely put, you know, as you've seen, George, uh, and those who have the book have seen, I purposely put these fun facts and inspiring quotes and other things, partly to break up the book because I didn't want, you know, I, I again, I love how to change your mind, but it is such a deep, heavy book that you have to really take breaks from it to read it and comprehend it. And in my book, I just, I, again, I wanted that, the educator in me said, I, I want it to be available to everybody. And so let's break up the text a little bit by sharing a fun quote from one of the, you know, one of our great psychedelic thinkers or 
a fun fact about mushroom, you know, whatever. And so I, I love, I mean, to me, that was my fun little gem for myself that I put in the book. And so I love that, you know, other people are appreciating it as well. Yeah. I, I like, I like the way it's like a, you know, when you swim, like you're swimming and you get your head down and you're taking a breath and you do some, smoke, <laughs> yeah, right. breath. like, that's how I feel. Like I'm reading, reading. And I'm like, Oh, look at this fun fact. Okay. Now dive back <laughs> in, you know, let me swim, swim, swim. And I look at it. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. And I, uh, I'm, thank you, Bernadette, for taking time to comment yeah. and, and check out the, the chat. And I, I know I love the book the same way. So here's another one from our friend David on uh, YouTube. And he says, Generation X suddenly initiating the next psychedelic reformation. What do you think? <laughs> um, I don't know which group is, is doing it. I will say that the, the thing that most amazed me is there are people, so this would be more Gen uh, Gen Z than Gen mm-hmm. uh, Gen X, but uh, that are so the people, the young people in their twenties that are so mature and and wise for their age from the psychedelic experience. You know, I think to much in myself in my early twenties and the bonehead, you know, I was typical, <laughs> you know, male uh, yeah. testosterone <laughs> hormones driving through and all that. And, you know, I was talking with this 22-year-old and he's sitting there. Yes, the medicine is so profound. <laughs> and I'm like, who is this guy? You know, and so I think that is a cool part. There is this big youth element to it. But I think all ages are fueling it. I, I, I love that psychedelics are being used for boomers, for mm. uh, understanding you know, death is we're on, the, you know, we're in the end chapter and what what's what's next for us. And this understanding that, yeah, you know, we are all part of the, the universe and there's this energy or whether it's heaven or whatever you want to call it, depending on your spirituality, you know, there's this there's a sense, OK, this isn't an, an ending. So I think all generations are fueling different aspects of healing, different aspects of understanding. And I love that you know, all, all adult ages, shall we say, can, can benefit from, from these experiences. Yeah. There's a really good book called the fourth turning and it talks about generational cycles. And, um, as an extra myself, I, I took, I really enjoyed the book and, and it just talked about, you know, how these generational traumas happen and how each sort of generation is playing a part. And what he said for, I, David, if you David, if, if you are into other books, definitely check out Randall's book here. You'll love it. And mm-hmm. there's another book called The Fourth Turning. And he gets into the idea of Generation X being a bridge between the boomers and the millennials and how, you know, the the a lot of the boomers have this mindset that they grew up in. And there's a, been a dis like a lot of generations, there's a disconnect, you know, and then the generation X is the bridge between the boomers and the millennials, because sometimes there's some boomers like, ah, oh, these millennials are a bunch of dummies. And some of these ones are like, these old guys don't know nothing. And that's just, that's just how it happens between yeah. the age groups like that. But the generation X being a small, it's yep. like the meniscus in between the two bones, you know, like, cause we're a small group and you have these two giant groups on both sides. So we're, we're sort of that soft tissue in the middle. It's like, Hey, these guys actually know quite a bit about what they're talking about. And hey, these younger guys, they're actually not lazy. They're working their tails off over here, mm-hmm. you know? So I think it's a really good book to explain how how the Generation X is sort of an in-between there. And yeah, but I, I agree. I, I think all of them have a part to play in the yeah. psychedelic reformation. 
Yeah, I, I, I love that what you just said, you know, um, part of my background is in marketing. So, you know, knowing the generational things, yeah. I know quite well. And I know, obviously, in their early days, the boomers were beloved. And, um, and that's partly then we had Gen X come along and marketers could not figure out Gen X because Gen X is different. It's, it's cool. It's, it's people born in that, in that time frame definitely have a very different outlook. And I think you're right. I think they, I love that. I'm going to look up at this book that you just mentioned, because I love this idea that they serve a bridge yeah. to these two. And you're right. These two other groups are massive <laughs> and they know it. And I think yeah. that's part of the problem. They say, you know, well, we, you know, well, we're so big, we control, you know, we control everything because what we say, you know, the world follows. And I think having this this group in the middle will be like, calm down, you <laughs> like, two, oh, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's you're gonna love that book. It's fascinating. Cool, good. Um, who else do we got here? We have I'm not the same as it ever was. Thank you, I'm not the same as it ever was for coming on and and making some comments. The first comment he says is he's really, he's excited about the experience being shared. And here's a part that he wanted us to talk a little bit more okay. about. He says, talk about blocking things out and avoiding helping others. I, I, I guess that's what I think psychedelics are doing the opposite of that. I think that they are the antithesis to blocking things out yeah. and that they are the catalyst to helping others. And I, I, I think that for too long, that's what we've done. We've blocked things out. And by doing that, we block out relationships. We block out helping each other. And, you know, earlier in the podcast, we had talked about if you want to make the world better, make everyone around you better. But it's hard to do when you're upset. It's hard to do when you're when you're waking up at 445 in the morning, trying to get your kid to school, trying to have a conversation with your wife, trying to get the errands done, get ready to go to work. Like, you know, we've we've spent so much time chasing this American dream of materialism that we've seems like we've forgotten what's important. So I do think we block things out. I do think we avoid helping others. What do you, what do you think about that? Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, you know, the word or the phrase that we use in my household, you know, sweep it under the rug, Yeah. you know, no, no the outside world can't know, sweep it under the rug and sweep it on the rug and sweep it under the rug. Yep. And, and, you know, outwardly, you know, we're all successful, happy, and, and, and inwardly we're, we're kind of rotting. And I, I think one of the, one of the really strongest message I got from a psilocybin journey was none of this matters. And it was talking to me specifically about social media because I was getting more and more fed up, you know, during the pandemic and everyone, you know, was just fighting at each other. And so I think anyway, so I, the point being that I think that the psychedelics does break all that down and breaks down the, the, the barriers that we put up between each other, uh, the barriers we put up with ourselves. Uh, there was this great documentary about tennis players on Netflix and one of the tennis players the pros says you know all her pictures on her facebook profile are you know holding the trophy or here's my boyfriend or <laughs> here's my beautiful apartment and then on camera she has this mental she has this breakdown and she says you know she lost a match and so she's not going to move to the next round and she says you know it's just heartbreaking and 
No one understands the pain I go through in playing this sport. And I wanted to shout, because you just post happy photos on Facebook. How is anyone going to know you're facing these challenges? And so I think, yeah, Psychedelic says, I can't do this anymore. I can't pretend to post happy photos or I can't pretend to be happy. I, I, I have to just be real. I have to get back to this notion of, uh, and I know we've kind of overworn this term, although I still love it personally, so I'm going to use it this authentic, authentic, mm. authenticity, you know, the, the, our true selves. And so, yeah, I think that psychedelics, we sometimes, the trauma blocks who our true selves are. So psychedelics cuts through all that. Um, and yeah, I think once we have healed ourselves, then we are in a place to help heal others. And, and that's the other cool part about this, about this community. It's like a domino effect. You heal yourself, and then you turn around and say, okay, who else needs healing? Who, how, how can I help? And it might just be providing a book or a resource yeah. or sharing a podcast, but that you're still helping. So yeah, I, I would agree with you, Jordan, that completely. Yeah. He's got some other notes in here too. And I, okay, I think it's, a, it, yeah, I, I, I want to say too, that like none of this is really medical mm -hmm. advice for anybody to be doing. Like just because we're talking right. about these things that we have found that helped us doesn't mean right. it's right for everybody. Right. And so while my heart goes out to everybody watching or participating in it, the best thing you can do is find a medical professional or someone you trust in your area to begin talking about what might be right for you. So I want to premise yeah. it with that. Yes. And good the, point. And, and, you know, uh, happily more and more, uh, psychologists and others are yeah. very interested. They can't be a hundred percent interested yet until we change the regulatory issues surrounding psychedelics for them even. But, uh, yes, we, uh, definitely always seek advice. This is more just for your personal research and that kind of thing. So. And entertainment value. And, entertainment and, and, value, yeah. Right, yes. right. But I think he, I think I'm not the same as it ever was, brings up, like, his story seems to be all of our stories. And he says that he's someone who needs help, and he's had a lifetime of abuses, traumatic events, still bullied at times, and has initiated extensive therapies. And it seems that people still don't recognize the needs even when he reaches out to them. And you know what? I, I, I think that this is a story that's shared by so many people and that even the people that seem to be the happiest sometimes are the loneliest. That's one of the biggest problems we have is this epidemic of loneliness. And even though we're more connected than ever, you know, what, what does that mean to be connected is even though you and I have this great technology and we're talking and we're bonding, like, I can't give you a hug. I can't, oh, gosh, I really love the book, you know? And I, right. I think people are feeling it. And, and especially if people have grown up with childhood trauma, they've been abused, they've had traumatic events. If you can't clear those events from your past, if you can't find the time to be honest with yourself or have someone around you that loves you or is willing to talk to you and help you through these events, it's really hard to move forward. Yeah. What? What, what kind of advice could you give to someone or maybe not advice, but what are some words that could help illuminate a path forward for someone that's feeling these things? Well, at first I agree. I think, you know, that this is a, a sad story of, of today. And re regardless of how many smiling faces you see on Instagram or Facebook yeah. or LinkedIn, we are, many of us are hurting inside and that's just a way to, make ourselves feel better in the world by putting that smiley face out there. And I totally get it. 
trying to, you know, fake it till you make it kind of thing. Uh, the other problem we have is those of us who have been healed, you know, we want to heal the world, but we don't have the, you know, capacity or capability or, you know, any of the tools necessary to do that. We, we like you said, we'd have to physically go to every single person practically. Um, so I guess to me, it would come down to again, community. And I would say it doesn't have to, you know, community is, is a broad term, friends, supportive groups. You know, I would say my first thing would be I, if I thought psychedelics might be a healing modality for me or something at least I was curious about, I think I, my first step would be like a psychedelic society. Uh, you, they're most, almost all of them are on meetup. So you just go to meetup and, and search for that. And um, at least then you can start a conversation and rather with a one-on-one -on -one, rather than to some posting on a site that you don't know who's going to respond and misinterpret it. The worst thing can happen. I've seen that happen in a few times where someone posts sort of a, a really vulnerable post and people misread into it and then actually start attacking them rather than helping them. So I get that. I, I get that the people that are, haven't been healed are sometimes going to see vulnerability in a negative light. And so again, that's why I say that community, finding people that are more like you and um, psychedelic community is the obvious solution for me. But, and uh, you could also go to link. I mean, again, amazingly, LinkedIn has several psychedelic groups that are more professionals, but that doesn't mean you couldn't join and start watching, you know, seeking advice, watching the post and that as well. Yeah, I'm not the same as it ever was. I put my I put my email uh, G6G988 oh. at Yahoo.com. Send me an email and I'll send you a copy of uh, Triumph Over Trauma right here. And um, I think it'll help. It helped me and and. Uh, that's what we want to do for all our listeners here. The yeah. True Life Podcast. You know, I, I I really think that there's some in this book, there's a story for everybody. You know, it doesn't yeah. matter what gender you are, it doesn't matter yeah. your age, you know, and I um and you're not alone. I mean, that's the you're that's not. you're not, you know, even if you feel the most alone you at this moment, you are not alone because all these souls are share that same the same feelings and this similar hurts and and problems and uh so you you're in a community already you just don't know it yeah and you know what i think being aware of it is a big part of yes. solving it like just yes. the fact that you even you have the courage to bring this up i'm not yeah. the same as it ever was hey look i have this problem like do you have any idea how many people have the same problem you have but won't even mention it like the fact that you brought it up to two people means that you're aware of this thing and just being aware of something it's like this. Imagine walking down the street and there's a giant manhole with the lid off. If you're not aware of it, you're going to fall right into that bad boy. But if you're aware of it, you can walk, you can sidestep that and walk right around it. And that's the yep. first part is yep. being aware. Hey, then you can start reading some cool books. And then all of a sudden you can be like, oh, you know what? I know what to do. You're going to figure out how to do it for yourself. And that's when the real healing begins. Like, oh, you know what? I got this, man. I got this thing. I'm not the same as I was. I'm better than I ever was. You're gonna you're gonna go Ooh. from I'm not the same as it ever was to I'm better than I've ever been. I'm gonna change your screen name. <laughs> <laughs> George, you are freaking amazing. <laughs> well, yeah. I but, you know, but I, I totally agree with that. Yeah, I mean, I think 
awareness is definitely the first step. So you're right. Yeah. He's he's already on his healing path. He just doesn't, yeah. doesn't recognize it yet. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's always cool to be at a point where you see something and then know, I, I think maybe we're aware of it because we've been there. Like yeah. you, you're able to look back at it and be like, Oh, I, I remember when I started having those same feelings. So here's the path I took. Maybe it's not the right path for, for you, but here's all these other people. Here's the path they took. Yeah. You know, you can begin to chart your own course that way, but Rand, I'm having such a good time. If I didn't have a heart out in a little bit, you and I yeah. would probably go for another hour. And I feel <laughs> like we're just scratching the surface here, but yeah, I know, you know I know what, as, as we're getting ready to land the plane, where can people find you? What do you have coming up and what are you excited about? Hmm. That's almost as bad or good, as you should say, as the question was asked, what, what do I want my legacy to be? I was on another <laughs> podcast. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> pre-psychedelics might have been quite different than post-psychedelics. But um, let me uh, just end one one final comment and I'll give you the, the details there. But I, I, I think... For psychedelics going forward, what I would love to see is sort of a, a, a three-pronged stool of decriminalization. So again, access to anybody uh, that finds their way to it. Uh, some kind of therapy declassification bill uh, so the therapists can use this because it's. I think it works extremely well. By the way, psych, uh, therapy after psychedelics is integration as well. For, talk therapy in that sense. And then the third leg would be the sacred aspect of it. Uh, the, the indigenous churches and things like that. I, I think they, they're pretty, that leg is pretty strong right now, except for some issues with protecting the medicines that are sacred to them. But uh, so anyway, those are the three legs that I would love to see psychedelics uh, go forward with. Uh, in terms of reaching me, the, the best way is LinkedIn. Uh, that is, probably the key platform. I, I actually got off Facebook after the psilocybin told me to do that, but I found I need to be back on it for the book. So I'm, I'm back on it, but in a totally different way now. I, I'm not being affected by the the negativity or the fighting that goes with that. In fact, I've got rid of so many people that now I, I don't see it that way anyway. But LinkedIn, by far the best way, uh, they can go to triumphovertraumabook.com to, uh, to go to the book website and learn a little bit more about the book before they decide whether they want to read it or not. Um, I'm just excited about this year because I think this year and maybe part of next year are going to be the most pivotal in this current renaissance, revolution, whatever we want to call it. Uh, thinking about Hawaii and Hawaii Five-0, which I used to watch as a kid, the waves crashing. You know, I think the psychedelic movement were, were that I don't think the wave is crashing yet. I think it's it's still cresting. Mm -hmm. And as he states, I think we'll know better how much the wave is crested once toward the end of this year or more of these states have gone through their process. But uh so, so I'm excited about the, the potential for more access to healing and more access to these psychedelics. I'm excited that we're talking about ethics and a different business model in psychedelics where, yes, we need to make a living, but we don't need to be doing it like the pharmaceutical companies are doing where we're just, you know, preying on people's trauma. You know, we're supposed to be helping release that trauma. Um, but that's about it. I don't, uh, I after my uh, my Jenny, Jenny's my partner, we did a little uh, 
thing for the book and two things happened after the after that we turned it turned it off first she turned to me and she said and by the way she was extremely nervous before this whole thing happened but after we turned it off she turned to me and she said well when's the next one <laughs> and then and then the second question of her head was okay and when's the next book and i was like no 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 um so so my focus is on this book and uh and and, and healing and hopefully like i said you know some more podcasts just i'm just trying to do all i can to get the word out there uh yours is you know your podcast i would come back on a million times because you are a treasure i i have to thank hank foley because he was the one who first introduced us months ago um and and hank was like oh jordan we got to talk to this guy ran because he's brilliant and i'm like uh no i love hank, hank is the one who's brilliant he really me. is he, he is, is brilliant i mean he I literally agree. is anyway uh so so, so i'm all about that uh down the road if if the medicine or other things point me in a different direction i'll go in that way again not to sound too woo woo but i i just i i want to be a voice for reason a voice for education a voice for ethics you know for for doing things the right way because we are you know as this becomes more available mainstream, we are going to see a lot more ethical challenges, companies coming in with the old business model, which we don't want. So that's going to be something we're, we're going to need, you know, uh, safeguards, people protecting this industry uh, in some way going forward, I think. And I hope to be one of those. Yeah, I I think so. I, I really am excited for the future. Um, you know, you are welcome on here anytime. I, I my my next move is to start getting more of an integration with. I love one on one, and I'll never stop doing that. But I think it may enrich the conversation if we could have a third or a fourth voice yeah. in here to bounce ideas back and forth. So look for that in the future. I'll definitely have you on to d discuss some topics that can be interesting and spicy and all of the above. So I'm, I'm yeah, I love that. that. Yeah, I, I agree. I think I think you know I've seen a couple of those that you've done, and I, I yeah I just and and even though we're two brains, having two more brains will just bring up more things that we, we forgot to mention today. So yeah, good. I yeah. Yeah. I think so too. And in some ways I, I, I think we can bring to the forefront ideas that may need to be addressed or, or could be addressed or could help. And I, I just think that in this area where things are so new, we really have an opportunity to create the world that we want to live in. Like it's so new, it's so fresh. And this is a rare opportunity to, to start laying some paver stones down for people to follow. Yeah. And I'm really excited about it. So um, you can reach, you can find me at the True Life Podcast. Uh, links are in the show notes. Thank you so much, uh, Rand, for hanging out. Check out his new book, Triumph Over Trauma. Mm -hmm. Go to the website. It's uh, posted right now on the window you guys can see there. Reach out mm -hmm. to Rand on LinkedIn. And if you have any questions or comments, reach out to us. And uh, that's all we got for today. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for being here. Thanks to everybody in the chat. So we got for today. Aloha. Aloha. All right. Let me do this part. Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way. 
I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge. And I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now. And it's been so rewarding to me that I would just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better, your life will be better, and you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.